She's Nicole. And I'm Erica. And we're the co-conspirators of Women of Color Collaborative, where we're working, playing, and building our way toward healthier, safer, and more affirming spaces for women of color. This is Cool, Calm, Collaborative. Yes, yes it is. Welcome back. How you feeling? Hey. Another week? What's your favorite thing that's happened? What's going on with you? It has been a week. So, I enjoyed a really, really amazing Saturday. And I can probably count how many of those I've had. But this past Saturday was was pretty great. Um, I was super lazy. By myself, my house was super quiet. Even the dog is with one of his favorite people that's not me, and so he was gone. It was raining. Um, you know, I have my weighted blanket, which is amazing. It's completely transformed the way I'm living life during this quarantine. Like, I didn't know I needed a weighted blanket in my life as much as I did. Um, so also I was thinking while I was laying there, like, what am I enjoying about this moment? Trying to be really mindful about, about the things that bring me pleasure so I can name them in a space. And the sound of the rain um, and sort of feeling very secure in my body under that blanket was nice. So I just enjoyed a really, really nice, lazy Saturday. That was definitely my favorite thing this week. Nice. I need to give me a weighted blanket. The problem is, you know, having to share... So I need to decide if I'm going to get two or if I got to get one of those really big, heavy ones. So I will say they are difficult to maneuver, um, right? Because they, they're heavy. I mean, that's the whole point of the weighted blanket. So right. I could see how this would get exponentially more challenging with another body that you're navigating. Yeah. Also, I don't know if it was just a few that I view, but they talk a lot about getting them just big enough for you because you're not really supposed to be able to like move around a lot. It's like swaddling a baby. So I typically wake up in the exact same position I fell asleep in, which is great. It lets me know the blanket is doing its job. I also feel better rested. Like my body didn't have an option to do all the things. That's so funny when you say swallowing up a baby. Chloe has a weighted blanket um, because I need her to sleep longer in her own bed. Uh, before, And it's worked so far. She has slept longer in her bed before she comes into mine. So it's, it's she still comes. <laughs> I mean, at some point she still wakes up, but it is closer to wake up time. So that's, that's been good. That's been nice. That's nice. Oh, I have one more thing to share. Yeah. Um, so Sunday, no. Was that Saturday? I think it was still Saturday. Um, I did yoga virtually with one of my um, little cousins. And she has um, recently transitioned into, you know, womanhood. And it's, it's, she's so excited. And it's, it's so odd to me, but I love it. You know, she is just, she called me. So this is now her second cycle and she called me to tell me that she had started again <laughs> and it was just beautiful you know it was funny um that this 12 year old 12 
I guess that's how old she is. Um, <clears throat> you know, wants to call and have this conversation. But what I, I, I had a moment of true, true gratitude um, because I've been trying to teach her ways to even at, I actually don't think she's 12. I think she's 10 or 11. I'm making them numbers now. But um, <laughs> for her to be in tune with her body, Right. These are and these are not conversations that I had when I was younger. These are not conversations that seem sort of common amongst the people I grew up around. And I do know very intentionally that I want to change the narrative for and with her. We've been reading books together for the past year because we could just tell the way her body was changing that it was going to happen soon. Um, and I wanted her to be empowered in a different way than I was at a, a young age um and so when whenever she starts we do yoga together that's been one of our practices and so we did a sort of a deep meditative and i've been talking to her about although her body doesn't have nearly the <clears throat> um reactions right to this change that i think we have now in our older bodies but i want for her to start the conversation earlier with her body than mm -hmm. i did and so that has been really fun. It's just been a something that I could have never really imagined for myself that I would be getting a phone call in the morning because she's excited. Um, <laughs> that when we're talking about yoga and breathing and I get to say things like, you know, your, your root chakra and your womb, like these are conversations, although she doesn't know all of what I'm talking about, that at least she has exposure and has some bodily autonomy that I think most of us don't have even in well into our 30s 40s 50s and beyond yeah. and so I've been really um grateful for this journey with her as odd as it seems to her mom my aunts and everybody else like I know that this is something that she needs and I'm glad I can be supportive in that way that's beautiful and, and one of the things about that is that some of her excitement could also be because I get to talk to Erica about it which you know, warm and fuzzies. I just imagine Chloe's gonna be like that episode of Blackish when Diane comes on her first period. <laughs> Chloe's gonna be very rude. So, how was your week? What was your favorite thing? Oh my gosh. Um, I had a good week, I think. I don't really remember too much of it, which is a good sign these days. <laughs> um, so I finally bought some Saint Germain for my house, and now that I have it, I've been putting it in all the juice. <laughs> <laughs> I just put it in my favorites bubbly. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but no, what's really making me happy is I finally put my books up on display. Uh, I have not had my books on display in about five years. And seeing books in my space makes me happy in general. I've always had, um, if not a bookshelf, I've always had books stacked into my room, like since I was a child. So it just makes me happy anyway. I really should have done this way sooner. I don't, I mean, I don't know why I didn't. Um, but even just unpacking the box was a really good experience. You know, I found lots of good trinkets from before and it really reminded me, um, I guess, who, who I am, like how creative I am and what I have done and that I can do that, you know? Like just seeing all the things I drew and there, there are stories I wrote. I've designed houses. Like I've been super prolific in a period. And so it was really nice to see that again in this period of feeling like I'm doing nothing every day. So it was, the experience was good. It was quick too. It was really, really quick. You know, I pulled the thing out and I started going through the box and it's still 
like rocks my world maybe a total of 30 minutes <laughs> it was just it's just so nice pleasure it's not overrated no oh and it's in the corner but when I walk in the in the house like the first thing I kind of scan the room you know and it's right there mm-hmm. the light it's it's great I love it happiness of the day so moving on to our can we talk segment I'm not gonna sing it this time but no it's fine you got something for us to talk about girl girl can we talk about these million dollar businesses giving back that's in quotes y'all giving back millions of small business dollars meanwhile walk we are a black female owned small business we can't get nothing because sba ran out of money but shake shake is giving 10 million dollars back somebody else just gave 15.1 million dollars i just want to know like who sat and filled out the form to get these millions of dollars when they don't need and, it and who's lender or representative was on the other side of the table they said yes you are a small business and you can actually yes we we will run this application for you we and where in this shit does it say you can have millions of dollars they're not giving walk millions of dollars i when i saw the head i think believe i woke up and i um try to monitor my news time for my own mental health mm-hmm. so i did my morning scroll um to see what's important and I saw the headline, and I don't remember which business it was, you know, plans to return millions, blah, 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 right, of dollars to small bit. And my brain literally wasn't comprehending how. There's so many flaws and so many holes in this entire process. Like, how do we get to a place now where Shake Shack is returned? The words don't make sense coming out of my mouth together. That's what it is. It, it does not make sense. How do you even give back $10 million? I, I don't. And then, like, what's the timeline for this? Because theoretically speaking, a Shake Shack can spend all $10 million of those dollars and then earn it back and pay the government. Like, so they're going to have this $10 million for a year and pay it back in taxes or something? Like, what, what we're giving... I, I can't. I can't wrap my, my mind around these numbers. The company I saw today was Jay Alexander's, and they are local, but they are not small. I just... It's... Well, and they are a chain. Like, they actually have... So, they... they they out here in these streets. Yeah. Well, that's why I said they're local, but they're not small. They they are based, and even based in Nashville is meaningless because lots of companies are based here now, you know? So it's, they're local, and I guess in some people, in, in white people's minds, that's small. But no. uh, Jamaica Way ain't getting $10 million. At all. You know? WAC didn't even want a million dollars. We was just trying to get somebody to pay some salaries for the year. Like, oh, sir, please, I'm poor. <laughs> we a little poor. I guess that I want to stop talking about millionaires. I, I I feel exhausted by this. Like the numbers on the news don't even make sense to me anymore, and I'm just really sick of it. Especially when like people are really checking the system on a regular basis to see if they're gonna get a twelve hundred dollar direct deposit and for people like me i'm i'm looking at unemployment like this is it i worked all those hours this is what you can offer me after being laid off like i'm sick of hearing about millionaires i'm sick of millionaires making decisions for the rest of us 
I'm just, because it's like the audacity to work at Shake Shack in a corporate office in New York City and fill out a form for a small business relief. It's, it's crazy. The only, the only saving grace, and I don't know how much it saves them, is maybe I just threw out, you know, um, a life vest and then I drove back to shore and let them stay out there, um, is allowing the funds to go directly to their, you know, part-time employees who otherwise would not be getting paid. And so I think about the workers. Are you using those dollars to support the workers of your multi-million dollar business so that they are able to still meet their basic needs? Now, that's me putting on a cape. I told you I flew out there, I threw the jacket, and then I flew back to shore. But that's the only piece of it that could possibly make sense. But overall, I too have just been so deeply disheartened. Like I've been, my feelings been hurt about it. Like why, why are we thinking this is okay? So one of my non-melanated amazing friends um, posted on Facebook today. And I thought like this pretty much, some, it summed it up so much. I did a like drop the mic and then sort of rolled over and took my nap. Like this was enough for me to say, I've scrolled enough. This is exactly where I need to, to, to land for right now. And she's reposting. And from what I can tell, this man is also non-melanated. His name is Blacked Out, but it says, <clears throat> I'm confused. You say it's your right to protest, but you get angry when Kaepernick takes a knee. You say your body is your own, but you get angry at the woman who demands the same. You are against abortion, saying every life is precious, yet you're willing to sacrifice your parents and grandparents for the economy. You claim coronavirus is fake, yet you wear a mask, gown, and gloves. You say healthcare is a privilege, but you want your COVID-19 hospitalization covered. You say socialism is dead, but yet your hand is out for a stimulus check, unemployment benefits, and you wait in line at a food bank. What you say confuses me. Forgive me if I no longer care what you say. And of course, like first and foremost, I, I want it to be known that because it was coming out of the mouth of a white man, right? Like now it has a little bit more validity to it for other folks. But ultimately, these are the sentiments that we have always felt. And exactly in this moment, what we are experiencing is the crumbling of a system and an opportunity for capitalism to continue to rise. Um, while continue to exploit people at the same time and folks don't know how to navigate all of this at the same time like the very system that you want to uphold is the same system that you're protesting is it's again I just gave up I walked away let's get away from the white people and their fuckery we're going to talk about black af mm-hmm. um, it is Kenya Barris's new show on Netflix um, and we watched all eight episodes. We sure did. Yeah. So what do you think? What's your first, that your just immediate reaction to this? My immediate reaction when I pulled it up on Netflix and saw the name of every episode, I said, Kenya Burris is a fucking beast. <laughs> Period. Like, that's the, it, like, that was immediately. I think I actually, you and I talked about this maybe when I was an episode or two in. And I was so giddy because it's just so smart. Like, before even diving into the content of it, 
how he got to this place of being on Netflix and for him to title every single episode something because of slavery, because of slavery, dot, 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 and knowing the background of um, Blackish getting pulled from ABC because it's not the right network, because of the episode that was about slavery. <laughs> and so it's just the perfect clapback. And immediately I was, I was bought in. I didn't know what kind of ride this was going to be, but I was bought in because I knew that he was thoughtful enough to create this ride for me. So I'm going to go on it. Yeah. Um, I didn't even, I didn't see that when I first started watching. So my first reaction, like I literally just clicked it. And you know, when you click something on Netflix, it just starts playing. Um, and that first episode, my first reaction was, this is just black issue, way more F bomb. And I was not into it like I kept hearing Dre I kept hearing Anthony Anderson's annoying ass getting all preachy and I couldn't I couldn't really see um, the intentional absurdity of, of watching this father high on Molly in the middle of the club lecturing his grown-ass daughter about being thottish like I couldn't see that absurdity I could only hear Anthony Anderson saying it mm -hmm. and so it just didn't it wasn't it just didn't click with me um, later on, of course. <laughs> um, once I started to buy in to, once I started to notice that, I guess, um, that's when I started to not at the title. Like, I started to actually read the titles of the episode and be like, yep, you guessed it because of slavery. That's when it started to be like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm nodding and agreeing with you. We're on the same page. So um, it was rough. My first reaction was kind of like, <laughs> but it definitely got better for me um and so really i think the black fathers episode that's probably my favorite episode or that's when it started to turn for me um, because i can't overlook the absurdity of kenya Bears wearing booties over his shoes to go coach a little league team like walking across a dirty baseball diamond that's hard not to laugh at it's hard not to see that as absurd um and then once i once we get over that and I'm laughing at this, I can now I can hear and be like, you know what, it's true. Like we do praise white males for taking care of their kids and for babysitting. And oh my God, how did he do it all that shit? And you know, if we're talking about black fathers, it's not about how they show up for their kids. So I can I now I'm I'm fully bought in at that episode and I just I think that was my that was the one for me. But I also think that this is probably this episode or the fifth episode. Um, I think the baseball one is the fourth one, the black mm -hmm. chasm. So this one or the fifth one is when we don't get those those big blocks of black history moments. Um, and I didn't notice it at first until uh, Leon said, um, it's just so much better without the black history moments. And I was like, yeah, I don't like I don't notice it because it's not happening anymore. So that that tells me even more like how intentional everything that he's doing in this show is. And so yeah, that which one is your favorite? Ooh, which one is my favorite? I wasn't prepared for that question. Um, two. Which ones? Which which? What stood out to you? Okay. And I think this was a turning point, even in the writing of the show. So to your point, I went on the ride because as you know about me, I have to do all the pre-thinking. And then once I get to a place, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm in there. Because the tee-up for me, knowing the story, the background with, with Blackish and sort of that transition, knowing, you know, 
I read an article where Kenya Burris was like, oh, so you mean to tell me the episode of Blackish about how slavery makes white people uncomfortable, made white people uncomfortable enough that my show got canceled or pulled, right? How ironic is that? Like I was bought in from the beginning because, and then again, like I said, I saw the titles and I went, yeah, I'm doing it. So the first two, three-ish episodes weren't as difficult for me, but they, I knew I was going on a ride and I think I just committed myself to going on the ride and I enjoyed it. It did feel a little preachy. It did feel very much like Dre, but I saw the absurdity early. Like I saw almost the satirical nature in which he was poking fun at himself, even though it mirrored a lot, it paralleled a lot, right? Of, of a show we already know very well that it's his show. Um, but I also saw a glimpse of where there could be an opportunity to have a different conversation in this show. And I was hoping that he would go there and he did. And so my favorite episode is actually the one where he brings in, he does a group call to all the other black creatives. Yep. Genius episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, genius. It was, it was fun. It was engaging. It brought in people that we know they were being themselves, you know, to whatever extent, I guess they're going to allow they also were taking shots, you know, very honest shots at each other. Um, but it, it intentionally interrogates a system and it interrogates the very system that brought the show to creation, you know, and like everything around it. I, it's just smart. It was smart. But that episode was hilarious. Also, the way he set up Lena was, or the way Lena set him up was great. Yeah great like I know that we see him fall so much as he really tries to navigate as like this you know emperor <laughs> um unapologetically um oh that's a good way to put it because it's not that this emperor has no clothes it's that this emperor is cooning on purpose yes like, he even has to say am I cool like that yeah, I missed that the first time, but it was great. I mean, that whole, when I think about that first episode of him um, having that fancy-ass car and the white guy is like, oh, I don't have it in me to drive this one. <laughs> and it's like, but he has to. It's either, because it's like just uh, this outside, he has to coon lest he be seen as poor. Like, it's just layers. There's so layers. many, there's so many layers to it. I also, um, I had to confront my Tyler Perry aversion mm -hmm. was the, it was the same episode right I think that was the same episode as the group call because oh, maybe. he yeah. went to seek counsel from Tyler Perry essentially he really wanted to know why are you okay cooning the way you coon um because he himself was struggling right like Kenya is struggling with with sort of the unfolding of his own coonery <sighs> I, I did appreciate that interaction because I have I have wrestled with with all of Tyler Perry's production since the very beginning. But I think what it was super helpful, and I was reminded of that while I was sort of processing for myself. Tyler Perry became um, pretty famous during the time where I was providing. Uh, we were I was working at Oasis, right? Even before you were there, and the conversations that I was having with my sister girlfriends, right? And like elders around Tyler Perry and the cooning and the misrepresentation of characters and characteristics and attributes of the black community 
was one conversation, but then I also at the exact same time saw young people who deeply related to content in a, in a way that like they don't see representation, they don't see themselves reflected, they don't see even their situations reflected as as piss poor some of the reflections may have been like it is it was still some of their reality and i had to uh i had to negotiate those two very like real feelings at the same time to be able to hold space for my young people so i think early on in my journey with tyler perry i had to come to a place of grace because i saw what it did mean for people and that's exactly what the man said in the show mm-hmm. that actually i i'm not gonna say i gave up on tyler perry but I had that same realization very early. Like, I, I'm quick to say I'm just not that person's audience. And that actually came from Soldier Boy when I was like, this is what people are listening to. You know what? Fine. Because, I mean, the reality is at the time, Soldier Boy was 16. What did I want him to be rapping about? You know? And that's when it occurred to me, I'm just not his audience. And so when Tyler Perry rolls around, and I remember being, you know, on band trips looking at Tyler Perry plays. on on the bus and they were legitimately entertaining it's like when we get to this other space of these movies I can interrogate the disconnect I can say you know this light skin savior thing is flawed but like you I can see that other people are getting something from this Mm -hmm. and so I can I can concede that I'm just not the one I'm not in the audience and what his line in the in black AF is I super serve my base and that is a great strategy Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, he's a millionaire, you know, and that he doesn't, you know, I don't have to be in the audience to make him a millionaire and that that it was kind of good to hear that because I already knew, you know, in a way, I know that, you know, but to hear that written and those words come out of his mouth was really good. Um, So, yeah, I agree with you. So what what was your love point for Black AF? Is there anything that just didn't work for you? What didn't work for me is very similar to what doesn't work in Blackish, ironically. It's the work dynamics. I was not a fan of the number one, the homie on the job who can call people bitches and hoes at the like work group processing tape. I struggled. I struggled. Um, I see that they attempted to throw in a little bit of voice of reason with the, I mean, she is, I think she is black, but a little sort of ethnically ambiguous. There's a woman. On the team? On the team. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. See, I, I my point exactly. That was, I believe some of that was intentional and that's bothersome. So the whole, the, the cutting to the, and I get from a plot perspective, Kenya has to have a space where he can process that is removed from the other characters of the show. So we're able to see and hear his, I understand the writing behind it. I struggled with it in this context. Um, yeah. Um, shout out to Bumper Johnson as the friend that is our good friend, uh, Ivan from Living Single. All grown up. We are so old. So old. I had the biggest crush on that man when I was a child. And now I wouldn't look at him twice. I watched the season of Living Single where we're introduced to his character and he, he gets progressively more handsome, right, on the mm-hmm. show. And it went from like, oh, it's this cute guy in the office and nobody, the audience doesn't respond to like the opening of the next season. People are like, Whoa! when he comes out. <laughs> right, right. 
he grew his hair out a little bit more. You know, he got a little taller. But he is calling people bitches in black AF. Like, let's just be very clear. Not people. I mean, was it was he talking to a man? Because that's to be noted. You're right. But no, he was actually talking to the black slash ethnically ambiguous woman. He called her a bitch. Yeah. The language used towards women is very different from the language you get to use for men. So that's that's a thing. Like the reason he can be in that writer's room saying whatever he said, calling whoever he called a bitch is because it was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah oh my low point is actually like the daughter on this project um, the the daughter whose project this show is really got on my nerves i knew that was coming i when as her like as a character i was like nicole ain't gonna fuck with her oh my god i don't i I just you know (laughs) my black kids don't talk to my mama like they those kids do and so anytime i hear that on any kind of tv show uh, uh they're like not even a child, like a grown person, where there's no deference shown to a, a parent, like my, it makes all of my hair stand up. That is, you know, an issue of my own, I know. But in this case, it's just, it was, it was a lot. And I know that this is an exaggeration. Um, and my mama would probably say that a toned down version of this is probably the way I do speak to her, which is fine. Uh, but and she just, I could not, I just, she, she just didn't do it for me. Um, and also similar to Blackish, the whole storyline around the breakdown of their marriage and divorce did not work for me. And I get that it's probably a real conversation for people who have been married this long or that long have, but I don't think that he writes, I don't think that Kenya Barris as a writer writes that situation well. And my best guess is that in, in both shows, he writes them to reconcile and he didn't in real life. And so it may be that he just doesn't know who, like maybe that's what this writing is, is him working through how to reconcile a divorce because he doesn't know how or something. It just, it never comes off good. Um, I don't think enough, att- if, if like when they, the episode that they bring up this tension in, it comes out of nowhere. Like I didn't know that Joya was trying to go off on her own and not be a lawyer because there's a whole episode about how she says I'm a lawyer, you know? So I just thought that's what she was doing. But when we, we get introduced to this concept of her having a book and a tour and all these things and wanting her own space and all that and Kenya's super mad about it and now we're talking about divorce. It's like, where did it come from? Um, and it's the same thing that happens on Blackish where it's like, in real life, Rainbow either would have never married this man or would have divorced him at child number two, you know? So it he he just doesn't write it very well. And so that really, it didn't work for me in this show either. Um, overall, um, I give this show an A minus, a solid A minus. Of course, we all know that black shit always gets higher grades. <laughs> because if this was Modern Family with, with more F-bombs, it probably would have got a C from me. Um, but it is genuinely funnier. It's less cute and cuddly than Blackish. And I think Blackish is a good show. So if this is better, this is better. I mean, this is a solid A minus for me. Um, for those listeners who have not watched the show, there is an entire episode about <laughs> melanated folks <laughs> rating or providing reviews for melanated projects. Higher. I love that episode too because of you know that it's melanated they brought up really great points though throughout the show um throughout that that episode specifically uh i really appreciated the conversation uh so one 
overall for me, I think what took the cake was in the last episode, which I struggled with their vacation. It was a lot. The, the way we, we got to this end, we knew the end was coming. Kenya should have pumped the brakes a little bit. Again, the everything that your reflection around their marriage spot on. I stopped watching Blackish when Dre and Rainbow had tension, and I could see where this was going because the writing got bad. The writing got bad, and it wasn't that I'm I'm conflict adverse because I'm not at all, and I am okay sitting being uncomfortable even with characters that I've grown emotional attachments to. Right? It just wasn't written well. Um, and blackish, and it did come out of nowhere, very similar to what happened on on the show. There was actually a moment where I reflected back on words that they said about each other in like episodes one or two, and the way they um I think it's it's Joya they're in a restaurant maybe, and someone's saying something about their kids, and they mm-hmm. both just go in immediately, right, and the end of that episode when they're talking to the screen they're like you know we can talk about our family but like if you come for us like it's it's over and you saw I think that was the first moment I saw them as a couple that I appreciated because they have very strange personality and family dynamics but then when you see something that works you go okay it works and I think in that moment I went oh this is how you are convincing me that your relationship works there was nothing that then took me on a journey to understand where that breakdown happened on the show and that was hard like that was it was odd um but as you already so eloquently stated we just don't think that Kenya has it in him to to write however like one of the last lines from the very last episode uh he is reflecting on blackish and he goes such a good show and the daughter goes but it never got that Emmy and he names all of the other awards that Blackish um, has won, right? And talks about how amazing we received this show was. But that particular accolade was not achievable. And it reminded me why I liked the show in the first place, why I decided to watch Black, Black AF in the first place. Like, I, to me, that was a great bookend because he just told the fucking story. So, I'm gonna give it a solid A. I'm going to solid A. It was fun to watch. Yes. Okay. So, do you love Black AF? Is it because of slavery? Let us know. Um, for now, we're gonna take a quick break and come back with our collaborators. Bye bye. As you know, WALK is all about amplifying the visibility and voices of those members of our network that make this work worth doing. Yep. (laughs) And this week, this episode is unofficially brought to you by our newest friend, Ashley Freeman. Yay, Ashley! (laughs) So we met Ashley completely accidentally um, (laughs) through WALK Week. as many of you know, we talked about in our last episode, we had an opportunity to provide virtual programming um, and bring amazing practitioners to folks' living room um, via some online learning uh, modules. And Ashley um, joined us for the first day. And I was like, look, it's a name that I don't know. I'm super excited. She didn't show her face. It was like this beautiful picture of her, like all dressed up and gorgeous. And I was like, okay, she's, she's dope. She's fine. 
And then she came back day two. And I was like, we may have a thing here. I gave her a shout out when we were opening it up. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, I'm, as soon as people are coming in, I say, Ashley Freeman's back. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I appreciate the props. Um, and then she kept showing up Wednesday because we danced together. We actually got to see her in real life. She took her camera, put her camera on and danced yep. with me. And that was fun. And then she came back two more days in a row. And so by the time we got to day number five, um, I think we have both collectively decided we need to know who this person is, who from afar, I think she had already shared with us that she was on the East Coast somewhere. Um, but we wanted to get to know her. And so we had a chance to have a conversation with one of our new friends, um, Ashley Freeman. Yep. So here's our combo with Ashley. Hey, Ashley, how you doing, girl? I'm good. How are you? You know, it's it's a Sunday. Um, it's quickly becoming though one of my favorite days of the week because we get to do cool things like hang out with new friends and some old ones like you. Yeah. So um, first thing that we love to do when we're building community with each other, um, and I'll preface this with a little bit of how I like to enter a space, right? So um it bothers me sometimes when people expect an introduction based on different identifiers and so what we typically like to say is like how do you show up in community what is it that we should know about you and so if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are by way of where you exist how you navigate and whatever it is that you want us to know yes i love that i love that i also agree with that I'm like, your degrees are cool, your career is cool, but that could all be gone tomorrow, as we have seen. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've never worded it the way you do, so I really like that. I just ask people, like, what they're passionate about, you know, like, outside of what you do, like, what gets your heart moving? Um, so yeah, so I'm Ashley. I'm originally from New York. I feel like everyone from New York always has to say that they're from New York, so I feel like that's a big part of who I am. I am proud of that. Um, and I, I guess I'm the opposite of every stereotype of New York. I'm like, I'm friendly, I'm bubbly, I'm not what you think. Um, and the areas that I show up in for my community um, is specifically in helping with their mental health. Um, specifically, I love working with youth on their mental health um, because growing up, um, I was actually raised by my Nana because both of my parents were substance users. Um, so growing up as a child, I didn't really understand uh, what substance use was. I was just like, I'm a child. I'm cool. You should want to raise me. Like, <laughs> like why don't you want to raise me? Um, so growing up, I, I dealt with a lot of mental health issues. And then when I became an adult, I realized like, oh, substance use, that's a chemical imbalance. It's not as simple as let me go take care of my children today. Um, and so with that journey of me healing and getting to know myself and my story more, I was like, how many kids are out there who didn't come to this realization and who still think it's their fault? for what their parents did or didn't do. Um, so I was like, you know, the cliche saying of be the, the change that you want it to be or, or be that person that you needed when you were younger, which is how I like to see it. Um, so I do different workshops at high schools and colleges um, about mental health, um, about how to be a good friend if someone shares that they're depressed, because that's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, so that's, that's my passion. Like if I could quit my job tomorrow, and just travel the world talking to kids about their mental health and telling them that 
I'm someone who believes in them, that's what I would do. Um, so my motto for that is that your circumstances don't hinder your future. They're just stepping stones to success to reveal how resilient you truly are. So yeah, that's me. Nice. What do you do for a living? What is your job? Yes. Yeah, so my nine to five, the thing that pays the bills. <laughs> I actually work in healthcare, so it's not that far off from my passions. Um, so I work for this nonprofit that I actually love. I actually love my day job. Um, I work for a nonprofit that actually has a whole bunch of hotlines um, to help people who have chronic illnesses navigate the healthcare system. So you can call and say, I can't pay my copay, or you can call and say, I live in rural Tennessee and it takes me two hours to get to my specialty doctor. I don't have transportation. I don't have childcare. And we'll connect you to all the resources because we realize that patients are more than patients. They're people. Like, yes, you might have this diagnosis, but you also have all of this whole life um, that also exists. Um, and there are real barriers that your doctor might not ask you. You know, when you go into the doctor's office, do they say, were you able to pay for parking today? No, because they don't care. Like, that's not in their little checklist. Um, so our organization helps people um, in some of those hardest times. And I get to have a part in that um, by hosting different events, by bringing in money, and by networking with other people and organizations who believe in what we do um, to build the infrastructure. Um, so thank God I don't have to sit on a call line with people who are telling me their lives because I, I shadowed someone one day. And about five minutes into the call, I started crying. I was like, this isn't a, it's not a news article. Like, this is someone's real life on the other side of the phone. You know, it's not what we see on the news of people debating, like, oh, should this be free or should this not? Like, I hear someone who's really going through this. Um, so, yeah, so I, I love my organization. I love what I do. Um, I get to help people, especially in times like this. Mm, you are people, though. <laughs> Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. <laughs> we need her. I would say we need her in Nashville, but we're both actively trying to escape Nashville. Though, so well, I no, know. I mean, you did mention on one of the calls that you wanted to come to Nashville or move to Tennessee. Is that a thing or were you just feeling it that day? <laughs> I, was, I was just feeling it that day. I have, uh -huh. I've visited Nashville before, um, but it, it was. This is going to sound a little weird. I went on a road trip from New York to Ole Miss. And people are like, that's what you did on spring break? You drove to Ole Miss? And I have to explain, like, my best friend's little sister went to Ole Miss. And so, like, on that long journey, we stopped at different places. And Nashville, we actually stopped in Nashville and got piercings. Girl, it was the senior year of college. I got some ear piercing over here. It didn't close up because it's been so long. But I was on some main strip and walked into a piercing shop, and that's what we did. So, yeah, you know, so that's that's my only thing. understanding the national. So Erica, we need to we need to just drive through here. Maybe that's what's been <laughs> from our life. We've been sitting here too long. We need to drive we through. Exit, and we should have kept. Going. We should have kept going. We should we should drive to Ole Miss. I mean, that's actually pretty amazing because. Like Erica said, we're both actively trying to leave. <laughs> I shouldn't say actively. Both of us have dreams of exiting this there's place. Aspirations, there's aspirations. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna follow up on some of what you shared, Ashley, because um I think I feel a lot of 
our shared journey, Nicole's and I shared journey through the nonprofit industrial complex and sort of working through our own um, passion projects. And you said you made a, a comment around, you know, these are real stories. This is not something that you're watching on TV. This is not a, a narrative that you're reading in a book. These are real people. And both of your worlds right now, on top of like your living existence, um, highlights populations that are even more marginalized right now, right, during a pandemic and the needs feel a lot heavier. Um, and this can be me projecting because I will tell you that it feels a lot heavier in my world. The, the, the need for safe spaces for women of color feels heavier now, um, just as much as the needs for my students on my, the job that pay my mortgage, right? Like that those needs are real. So how are you navigating <clears throat> and managing the, the, the heaviness of the work that you do that is both your passion and your calling and the thing that pays your bills mm -hmm. and is in it's all sort of exacerbated in response to the world around us right now mm -hmm. um i've been managing it by <clears throat> being honest about my needs which is not an area that i used to be too uh fond of doing because i was always worried about somebody else's needs um, because like you said, things are heavier. Like my job now has a COVID line that's just dedicated to paying people's bills. And, you know, now we have webinars every week about it. And May is mental health month and people are expecting me to roll out a whole content calendar on that. So um, what I've done is I've been honest with my director about uh, the heaviness that I'm feeling, not only from my job and my passion, but my family. Like I'm from New York, <laughs> which is a part of my story, but I know at least 12 people who have passed away. People who have lost parents, grandparents. Um, I have three family members who live in New York who have tested positive and they also are part of vulnerable populations. Like one is in a nursing home. So it is a lot all at the same time. And I don't think it's been a perfect journey of balance for me these past, I guess, four weeks, month. Um, but now I've come to the point where it is becoming more of a perfect balance. Um, so like this week, I'm taking a day off. My director was like, I think you should take a day off. And I was like, you know what? You're right. But I had this big grant that I was working on. So I was like, oh, well, I can't take it off this week. You know, and she's like, no, like you need to do what's best for you. Um, so I've been taking more time for myself, whether that means binge watching something on Netflix, which is not something that I normally do because on a normal day, I feel like, oh, well, that's unproductive and I can't do that. I'm losing too many hours. Um, or whether that's learning a new skill and, and doing painting. And I'm like, well, this is time that I could be dedicating to building my business. None of that matters right now because that could all be gone tomorrow. But the peace of my mind is what matters the most to me. So I've just been honest about what my day-to-day -day needs are. And I've been better at articulating that with others. Yes. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, this came up for me anyway, but I'm also looking at the questions that we're asking. You mentioned that um, this, that being on Netflix is not something you would normally do because it's unproductive. And so the question is, tell us about your happy place. Like, what would you normally be doing? Like, what, what is your usual... I'm, I'm just chilling being Ashley. Mm -hmm. 
um, hanging out with my friends in person. <laughs> I have to put that disclaimer in person. Like my birthday was a couple of weeks ago and I annual, I normally have an annual game night. And I was like, guys, what am I going to do? And I had a virtual one on Zoom. And I literally took pictures of the taboo cards and texted it to people. I was like, you know what? We don't celebrate by any means necessary. Um, so I really do garner a lot of energy when I'm surrounded by my mentors and my friends. Um, and just talking. I enjoy talking about um, very interesting topics. Like right now, I'm reading a book about forgiveness. And well, it's a devotional. And so um, me and my boyfriend are just like having these deep conversations about what does forgiveness mean? And so I don't know. I just mm. enjoy being surrounded by people, talking about things, um, and eating out, which I also can't do. <laughs> yeah, I think I took restaurants for granted. I I'm a super introvert, which is why you didn't see me at all during Black Week. But... <laughs> what I'm learning from being in here, I mean, we just talked about this, Erica, like, I want to stop cooking. Like, I, I want to eat a good-ass meal that I did not have to make. Yeah. Uh, I took restaurants for granted, for sure. I absolutely took physical, well, I didn't take physical touch for granted. I think I was actually, I've been embracing more probably since we've been talking about pleasure more intentionally, right? Like I've been embracing more the way physical and like non-sexual physical touch, mm -hmm. how important that is for me. Um, I think it was after a relationship that he was not as affectionate and that actually it was a really great opportunity for me to like do some work of understanding why I value and prioritize physical touch that much. And it's because my family is completely touchy feely. Like it took for me to sit back and see the way we lay on each other. Um, and so I am missing that. I'm missing the feel of my girlfriend's skin. I'm missing like rubbing up against someone at brunch. You know, I'm missing going out and dancing and like being able to literally caress on another body mm -hmm. um that's the i miss my girls and that's so crazy because i i'm i'm married and i have this two-year-old so obviously i'm touched more than i want to be yeah. but there is a huge difference between you know these touches that i've that are mine <laughs> and like being able to just go to erica's house and like she said brunch up against somebody at brunch I'd be down to brunch up against a stranger right now, you know? I think about the last time me and Erica went to brunch and we sat at that really cramped bar and, like, the two white dudes on one side asking about our drinks and the white girls telling us what's for. Like, I I do miss that. That is, <laughs> I would love to be able to do that again. But now I know I probably will never want to sit that close to another person again <laughs> if I don't know them, you know? So, I feel you. Yeah, I miss that. I miss that. Yeah, you, you're so eloquent. I miss getting in an elevator and not getting a side eye. Like there were two people standing waiting for the elevator and it was this guy, he works in the building, he works in my apartment and he called the elevator and you know, normally like women enter first. So I entered and he didn't come in after me. He was like, I'll get the next one. And I, that like broke my heart. I was like, dang, like we can't even share elevators no more. <laughs> like, Diagram that showed where you where you're supposed to stand in elevators now and I was like this is what we come to diagrams of elevators yeah. Yeah. yeah and just 
just that awkwardness that people feel now because I talk to strangers like everywhere I go like if you got on something cute I'm gonna ask you about it but now you can't even like do a greeting to someone they're like (laughs) um so that really does that does bother me I had that moment today at the grocery store so and this is how I know we're living in different times y'all because I woke up early on a Sunday just to go grocery shopping like I was committed I was like, bitch, you got to go. You got to go right now. So I'm kidding. <laughs> you did, girl. I saw that message. I was like, you have to be. But, you know, especially being in the South, people speak, or you at least mm-hmm. acknowledge each other's presence. And today at the grocery store, I felt, and this is not a shot to my people, because shout out to the Midwest. Y'all know I love y'all. It felt like I was back in the Midwest. And that's usually a, a regional like culture shock that I encounter once I actually cross the Mason Dixon line, right? And get into Indianapolis or Detroit and I'm at a Walmart or at a store and I have to remind myself I'm not in the South anymore. And I'm fine because the the context of the environment, right, reminds me that this is just not how people communicate. But in the South we do. And there was something about the masks in the store and people just like almost being fearful to stand. I mean, Nicole, you even said today, like you weren't turning down an aisle if it was somebody else in the aisle in Target. And although I'm thinking about the six feet, what I was not anticipating was the impact of how it made me feel in community. Mm -hmm. And that showed up even at Publix at 8.30 this morning. When it first started, um, I I was in a grocery store with, and, and I was, taken aback by how many older people there were and at that time we thought that you know older people were most at risk or whatever and so as I'm going through I want to help all of them you know (laughs) I saw this old older black lady struggling to carry her shit and I was like I want to help her but you know what if I'm carrying this disease and it's like that goes introvert as I may be, I'm not going, I don't like seeing older black people struggle. I don't like seeing any black person struggle. So there've been several times where I've seen, there was this woman with her kid and I got mine and she's like, tell her not to tell, I want to jump in and help and can't. And so it is, it has been really awkward. The not walking past people in aisles and kind of waiting for them to go all the way through before I get myself. It's, it's really awkward to navigate that way and not be helpful or you know, maybe I still want to go outside. Oh, better days, better days. Okay, so tell us about the ways in which various dimensions of your identity um, inform or impact your work. And just to say more words from a walk perspective, um, one of the things we we prioritize in spaces is creating opportunities for women of color to first just acknowledge like the different layers of self that we bring into a space. And I'm not saying that we are perfect at it, but we definitely do try to hold ourselves accountable and like check where we're bumping up against our own shit. Um, That allows us to be more vulnerable and transparent and like acknowledge what is that really bumping up against? Um, And being able then to see out around with the people who share space with us um, how their various dimensions of identity are showing up in spaces. And so not only in the space that we curate, but our, our goal then is that folks are able to carry that same skill into other spaces. And so that it becomes a tool for them to really deeply not only understand themselves, but understand themselves in relation to what is transpiring, what is unfolding around them. 
So for you, um, when you think about your work, what are some of those aspects of your identity um, that both have a, a inform and are both impacted by the work that you do? Yes. Um, so even though I didn't say it in the intro part, um, but my mental health work is geared towards people of color. Um, simply because, I mean, I know when I was raised, it was like, oh, mental health, that's a white people thing. Like that's, we don't, schizophrenia, like black people, no. Um, and that's just what I grew up believing. And then there was an age, I guess I was in high school and I started going to group therapy. I went to an amazing high school. They had group therapy for uh, different groups of people who could identify in a certain way. Um, so the group that I was a part of was for children of substance users. And so that like spurred my interest in realizing like, okay, I'm not alone. Um, so I feel like being raised by my grandmother is also a part of my identity and and people make fun of me they're like you're such an old soul and I'm like that comes from somewhere um and so I feel like those two main things is what inspires me um to work with um children of color because I realize that there's so much potential in in our people and sometimes it just takes you realizing that someone believes in you for you to actually realize it yourself. And I'm like, if I could be that person for at least just one more person, like my work has been done. Um, and not to say that I don't love working with adults, but quite honestly, sometimes adults are stubborn. Like, especially when it comes to taboo topics like mental health, healing, working through that, like you said, identifying the different layers of yourself and the shit that, that you bring in a room that you might not be proud of, like that's, that's hard. Um, and the fact that I'm on that journey, I realize that everyone isn't open to being on that journey. And so I have to learn how to understand and respect them um, and, and our differences. Ooh, <laughs> I felt like I needed to say it in response. <laughs> All of that is true. I agree with it. One of the, um, this is a, a complete aside, but part of my, not really, part of my journey to walk was working through the ways in which I had like disassociated myself from various aspects of my identity and started to think about healing it but healing it through other folks and so when you were naming like you know you went to amazing high school and they had you know groups that were based on a shared oftentimes a shared trauma in some way right mm -hmm. you're building healing spaces around that and that if i'm reflecting with myself like that was my entire like 20s mm -hmm. as a professional and it wasn't until i hit you know sort of that early 30s phase that I realized I need to build a healing space for myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is exactly how Walk came to be. It was me like drawing closer to the healing that I knew I was looking for, but I was looking for it by prioritizing for the next person, which oftentimes was the next generation, mm -hmm. um, which was a beautiful journey. And it's actually how Nicole and I met 
because we were both working um, as youth service providers with a particular organization. So yeah, that just sparked that for me. Like it, and I'm also becoming much more clear about that process and that journey for myself because it allows me to take ownership of this space in a different way for myself. So thank you for that reminder. Of course, I feel like I've had those realizations the most in relationships. I'm like, you know, I said it was you this whole time, but actually, once I got into that next relationship, it was the same. I was like, you know what? It's actually me. Let me let me work on that. Um, so yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a second. So, <laughs> hey, what's up? Since we're there, since we're there, since we're there. Um, I've had like I've actually had lots of moments where I've been reflecting back on myself. It's like, okay, girl, like you, that, some some of that was you. Okay, a lot of that was you. A lot of that was you. And um, you know, once I really sit with that, which I give it space and time that it deserves. But I'm gonna be honest. Then where I had to like go back and and find my own like validation is in still being okay with the choices that I made during that time. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's like as much as I acknowledge that, then I feel this extra guilt. And then I have to go back and like rework this whole process of like, no, actually you did the best that you could with the information that you knew to be true at the time. And honestly, you was trusting yourself in ways that you needed to trust yourself. And although you may not have shown up in, in the best ways per your own, you know, now standard or expectation, you actually made the best choices for yourself in that moment. I'll be having to counsel myself a lot through that, that process. Did you see how I brought all of that? I'm proud of you, girl. Thank you. Because, you know, I'll go to that guilt place real quick, real quick. Yeah, yeah but that's real. Yeah. I, every time you go through it, because obviously I'll be thinking in my head, me and your girl are the same person. So when she's going through that, I start to think about my own choices. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm fine. I did it. I did it. It's there. I'm done. <laughs> Which is one of the things I admire most about you because you get there and you're done. <laughs> I get there because I've convinced myself and I know that that is the choice I have to make, but I still have not dealt with me making that decision. And so you cut your path off here. My path is still going to loop all the way back around. Oh, yeah. To process it, not to change the decision, though. So I think that that my process, I'm in that loop when I'm in the shit, you know. So I'm I'm still in the relationship, but I'm breaking up with a nigga. I'm, I'm like, we still together, but I'm really not with you no more. And so by the time I make a decision, the decision has been made for months. Um, and even spontaneous decisions, I seem that seem spontaneous. The decision takes time. And then when I pull the trigger, I'm like, the bullet is out, you know. I have made this decision. I mean, that's we talk about this in relation to events, but I feel like once we get to the place, nobody gonna be up. Like, I can't do anything other than live with the decision I made. Like, I can't. I'm already anxious enough. You know, I can't really sit and think about what I could have done differently. So when I do, though, what I can say is I don't have any regrets about. Um, any decisions that romantic or otherwise I've made. There are some decisions I made, might, may have made differently or sooner than I did, but every, even the bad ones, every decision I made brought me to the right place, I think. 
probably most likely. <laughs> it's so funny. I was just having that conversation, Nicole, with my current boyfriend. I was telling him how in previous relationships, I stayed with the person longer than I should have because I always prioritize the other person. I was like, like I was in a relationship with someone who had mental health concerns, who was suicidal. And I was like, well, if I leave you, like this is gonna only end up worse. So I stayed with him about two years after I had already made up the decision in my mind to leave. And then I realized the relationship before that, it, it wasn't a mental health concern, but it was like, we weren't on the same path. And I also stayed in that relationship about two years after I had already made that decision up in two my mind. And in those two years, I made, I did actions that were against my character, who I thought I was, but that was- Was you keying because, cars and stuff like that? Those kind no, of no, actions? No, no, no. Okay. I was like cheating on him. And, okay. Okay. You know, and I, I thought I would never be that person. And I was like, well, and then I, I told my current boyfriend, I was explaining this all to him. And I was like, you know what? if I would have told that person when I started feeling those feelings of like, oh, I feel like we're on different paths, I could have given him the option to, to change and to work on himself and for us to work on it. But instead, I just harbored all of the things that like I had wrong with the relationship because I was like, well, he's having a good time. So like, I'm just going to minimize my needs and just stay in this. But I didn't realize that in that process, I wasn't showing up 100% in that relationship at all. Like I was shortchanging him. And I was like, you know what, Ashley? And, and then it, it took a real breaking point for me to be like, I'm over this. But like you said, like I had already made that, that decision. When I broke up with him, he was like, what? Like, I thought we was good. And I was like, nah. nah. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> we nah. haven't been for a really long time. It's been two years, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but I was young. I was like 21, so I didn't know. But then I realized when I was telling my current boyfriend, I was like, oh, but then I did that again in the next relationship. <laughs> and so the point I was, I was making to my current boyfriend, the reason why the conversation came up is because he needed me to be there for him for um, this week. He was, he was doing something, and I had like a huge deadline at my job. And I was like, I feel really, really bad that I wasn't there for you last week, but I made a decision in my last relationship that I'm going to start showing up for myself because when I didn't do that in those other relationships, that's when things went south. You know, when I wasn't honest about my needs and what I needed. So yes, I feel really bad that I couldn't be there for you this week. I'll be there for you next week and the week after that. But I just had to put myself first because I know what happens when I don't put myself first and I'm not trying to go back down that path anymore. So I just want us Damn. to be in a healthy relationship where we both tell each other what our needs are. So no one ends up feeling resentful and feeling like they're not getting what they wanted just because they didn't explain that to the other person. And so I was like, I, I, I know what it feels like to be on that other side. Um, and so when I, I recognized those, those patterns and those choices that I was making in those relationships, I was like, I don't want to make that in this one. You know, we both need to tell our needs, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's bad, but I don't want one of us harboring. And then two years later, be like, you know what? I actually was over this two years ago. <laughs> you know, like, I, I know what that's like. Let's not yeah, do that. When I, when I was saying I made the decision that I'm, I'm talking like months or something. <laughs> I don't think I ever, yeah, my timeline, well, so, I'm a Taurus, 
I'm I'm very stubborn. And so even if I think the decision is bad, I'm going to stick with it. So first of all, Ashley, we live the same life. Okay. Um, that's number one. <laughs> you didn't see the look Nicole gave me before I just put myself on mute. Cause I was like, so she just going to tell the whole story. Just going to tell our story, sis. Going to tell our story. <laughs> and you did. You did. You really did. <laughs> What's your sign, Ashley? I'm an Aries, though. You said you're a Virgo. Didn't yeah. you say you're a Virgo? Virgo. You're an Aries. You know, I actually, this sounds terrible. You um, don't get along with them? Female Aries. Yes. Oh. I don't get along with male Aries. Y'all good with me. Male, male, <laughs> yeah, y'all male version is a little hard um, <laughs> to deal with. But I was just, I was just curious. Um... So for me though, I would tell you where this is a little complicated because in seeing that level of like seemingly self-sacrifice of I'm going to put his needs before my needs, at least publicly, then I'm going to do whatever I need to do behind my back, right? Because that's how it unfolded in my life. Um, this, it, it never came from a place, I think oftentimes when we're talking to women who have this unhealthy relationship with whoever their significant other, and we automatically assume that it's rooted in sort of this lower self-worth or lack of, of value. And what I had to be really honest with myself about is that it's the opposite for me. It was my ego showing up. That is my ego that's saying, you know what, I am so important that I can choose to prioritize you and I will still be okay. And so my ego was leading me astray by thinking I didn't need to take the lead. You know what, you, you need me more than I need you, right? So let me show up for the ways in which you need me and then ignore myself because I can do that. I, I'm in control enough to do that. I, you know, I have the power enough to do that. Um, I'm in control of the situation, right? And then ultimately it ends up being, it backfires because you were leaving from your place of, of ego. I had to check my own ego and like give like name, whatever that thing was that was happening. And it was thinking I can save a nigga. Let's be honest. Like, <laughs> so let me be super save a hoe for him over here. But then I was doing reckless shit that was for me, you know, on the back. Eh, it just got messy. It got messy. And see, and that's the other thing is that I've never been interested in teaching dudes to do anything, you know, which has made a lot of my decisions really easy. If you don't have it, you don't have me either. So, <clears throat> well, I have learned so many things from you, my friend, which is why I'm saving nobody out here. No. So, one of our favorite questions. What is your favorite thing about collaborating with Black women? Everything. We're magical. Like, we're just so magical. Like, I just, I feel like I learn so much from other Black women. I mean, even um, from Walk Week, like I told y'all, I was like, yeah, I didn't know that much about chakras, wasn't too interested in it. Now I have three books on chakras. And I'm like, well, they ain't got no, no answers out there. So let me do the inner work and find it. Um, and I just feel like Black women help me reveal parts of myself that I don't want to say I didn't know that they were there, but I probably didn't know that the magic that they held. 
And when I see that magic in other black women, I'm like, wow, like, I know that she's no better than, than I am and I'm no better than her. So if she could do the work to get there, like I can also do the work to get there. Um, so black women just inspire me to, to find my own magic. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I do have to say like that, um, we get that answer a lot, <laughs> that black women are magic. Um, I never get tired of hearing it. Mm-hmm. What's something that brought you pleasure this week? Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. What's that? When I, th- I need to expand my mind when it comes to pleasure because I'm like I'm thinking. It it ain't even it ain't even got to be big. I'll tell you <laughs> mine. Okay, I wanted a bookshelf because I have books. Okay, mm-hmm. and this used to be a big deal that I had my books out, and I have not had a bookshelf with all of my books on display for five years. Oh. Very simply put, I got the wire one that used to be in the kitchen. It's now in my living room full of books. It is bringing me so much pleasure. Like literally, before I, I logged on here, I looked at it, set it up, I looked at it, and I touched it, said, you're beautiful. I got all kind of goodies. That that I, I am feeling warm feelings and pleasure just all around. Yeah, like this <laughs> is real. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be monumental, out of the ordinary, just something that you feel genuine good feeling and pleasure around um actually i want a new bed i want a mattress and i asked them can y'all include the bed frame too and they did and i upgraded size i usually was on a full i upgraded to a queen because i was like if it's gonna be free y'all gonna spend some money so i upgraded Um, and now I just get really good nights of sleep. And before the pandemic, I didn't really sleep a lot. And now I'm just like, this nourishes my body. Let me go to sleep on my brand new bed. And then I wear a mask because the sun comes up a little earlier now. So yeah, that's what's bringing me pleasure. See, do you see how easy that was? You had that in the chamber before we, like, Thank you, Ashley. We're super happy to have you in our midst. And thank you, listeners, for rocking with us another week. Please give us some feedback, leave a review and a rating wherever you're listening right now. You can find us at Workplay Build on all the things and on workplaybuild.org. Here's a reminder before we go. Check on someone. Um, one of the things I've been doing over the last couple of days is just sort of going through my contact list or even my Instagram followers, um, especially my DMs where I know folks have shared things with me and we have a little bit of banter back and forth. And I've just decided to send a text and ask them, how are you today? Like genuinely, how are you today? So we are all doing the best that we possibly can right now. And one of the reasons this podcast has been able to um, come to a a subscription service near you is because Nicole and I have decided to center um, what brings us pleasure right now, especially when the world around us is so chaotic and so uncertain. Um, But everybody needs a little reminder. Everybody needs a reminder to do something that brings them joy. Everybody needs a reminder that there's someone out there that's just thinking about them. And even if you can't do or provide, because that is white supremacy, um, you can Mm -hmm. still check in with folks. So check on your people.
She's Nicole. And I'm Erica. This is Cool, Calm, Collaborative.